You're listening to the Mobcast Network. We just kind of give up at the that one. Yeah, so, whatever. Whatever it starts. I'm your Native American pop culture spirit guide, Scotty, and I'm joined by my co-hosts. Co-hosts. It's Drew. Hey, Drew. What's up, buddy? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited about talking about this episode because um, until last week and this week, um, chapter four, The Sanctuary, it was my favorite episode. And then this kind of quasi two-parter, seven yeah. and eight has become my favorite episode just because it's just sheer awesomeness. Yep. But we'll talk about that uh, when we get to it. We will talk about it more on My Star Wars Life this week. So if you want to listen to that, we'll, we'll, you can hear uh, me, Drew, and J.D. talk about um, He actually, as we speak, J.D. is watching it. Because <laughs> oh, he had to work, right? Yeah, he's he's like work, tied up. So, yeah. so he's not, he hasn't seen it yet. So, All right. So let's jump into this. So um, The Mandalorian Chapter 4, The Sanctuary, written by John Favreau. Directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, who has been in lots of movies. Uh, One of which happened to feature a village. <laughs> and the other ha- featured a dinosaur, which will come up a lot in this. <laughs> Do you think that's why? <laughs> Wait, now that you've put those two pieces together, we now know why she directed. I have notes about that. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> See, I like to tease it. I'm, I think I might be uh, force sensitive, Finn style. <laughs> oh. Oh, all right. So the episode starts uh, Pedro Pascal as the Mandalorian. Uh, we we now get Gina Carno uh, as uh, Cara Dune. Uh, Gina has been in Deadpool, Fast and Furious Six, uh, Kickboxer Vengeance with our friend Sam Medina. Yep. And uh, we have Julia Jones as O'Mara. She's been in Twilight Eclipse, Wind River, Westworld. She's also a Native American. Wind River is a phenomenal movie, by the way. Wind River. Um, she's a Choctaw and Chickasaw. She's from um, New York. That's awesome. Very nice. Uh, we have, uh, and I wanted, uh, also wanted to put a shout out to Ida Darvish as the bar patron. She uh, wrote and started in uh, uh, Gigi, Almost American, the astronaut farmer, the comedians, but she's also Josh Gad's wife. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah, so, you know, in the show and its trend of always having a comedian somewhere. Yep. There you go. Yep. Brilliant. So our bounty punk is going to be on our star itself, Pedro Pascal. Pedro has also been, he's been on lots of things, but most most importantly, most notably, he's been in the Game of Thrones. He was in Narcos. He's uh, in Kingman's uh, Golden Circle, which is highly underrated. Um, uh, and he's been in The Mentalist. He's been, like I said, he's got a huge IMDb list. He was born April 2nd, 1975 in Santiago de Chile, in Chile. His whole name is Jose Pedro Bellamasia Pascal. He's also five foot eleven. Oh, so he's normal height. Normal height. So the Mandalorian is five foot eleven. There we go. Unless he's on the list, but I don't think he is. I think he's normal. He seems like average height. 
So he's born in San Diego, Chile, to Veronica Pascal and Jose Pedro Herrera, um, the medical professional. His family was opposed to the dictator Augusto um, Pinochet, and thus they moved to the U.S. during Pedro's early years. Basically, they were like, that guy sucks, and they were like, we're going to kill you, and they're like, nope, we're going to the U.S. Yep, see you later. So they got asylum in the U.S., he was raised partially in Orange County, but the uh, California, but his family moved to San, Diego, uh, San Antonio, Texas. As a boy, he was a swimmer. No joke. Was a very good swimmer. Was I think was going for Olympic level at swift swimming. He was won much of championships from what I've read at eleven, and then he discovered drama and then dropped swimming and went into drama. <laughs> Unreal. Yeah. Well, he won either way. I guess. Right. I guess he did. Uh, he's a member of the New York City Labyrinth Theater Company. Um, uh, here's something interesting. So what the, his next film is Wonder Woman 84. He plays Max Lord, the villain, in, in it. Right. He also was in the failed Wonder Woman pilot. Oh, the TV one. The TV one, yes. Wow. Yeah, so he had a starring role in that. That did not get picked up. So Wonder Woman was always in his future. Maybe that was payback. Maybe it was. <laughs> I don't know. I, Depends on how big of the, the dump truck of money they put in front of me. Because I don't know if I'm like, ah, I've done that. I don't know if I want to. I'm the Mandalorian now. <laughs> well, we'll save it for the Phantom Free Zone. <laughs> Just a little teaser. A little teaser. All right. So uh, you ready for the mission report? Yes, sir. <clears throat> Meet Creel. No, not our Ugnot <laughs> friend. <laughs> From the first two episodes, whose name is Quill. That no one said I had to learn, so I've been saying it wrong for months. It's like Kuhil almost, right? Kuhil. So, meet Krill. No, I'm talking about shrimp. Yep, space shrimp on the planet Sorgan. Omero watches her daughter catch a frog as her as her and her village collect space shrimp because space shrimp is awesome. Seems like a pretty good harvest too. Yes, pretty good good year for the space shrimp. I hope, I hope they sell that. I hope that's not like their total diet as a space shrimp. No, I think they do. I think that was their whole... I think they're their, actually... Their economy is... Krill farmers. Krill farmers. Are <laughs> Farm-raised krill, now available at Costco. As the villagers go, villagers go about their day collecting krill, they are attacked by Clatoonian uh, mercenaries. Blaster shots are unleashed on the village. Uh, Amira washes for her daughter. Uh, and uh, they get separated. Clatoonian raiders charge in. Looting supplies in the harvest. One even strikes an astromatic droid in the head because screw that droid. Omera and her daughter hide under a wooden uh, a wooden basket while the raiders march away. Uh, Omera hugs her daughter and the surveys the carnage left behind and then credits. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Mandalorian travels through space aboard the Razor's Crest. The child sits near the console and gazes up at space because it's he's kid. He fiddles with the controls, causing the ship to jerk. That that's become the latest meme. It's <laughs> one of my favorites, especially when they drop in the different songs. The different songs, it's gold. <laughs> so it's, it's great. Uh, Mandalorian has enough of that. Scripts child up into his lap, and they start studying a map. And they're like, oh, "We gotta find a place to lay low." And so they find Sorgan, a backwater world with no industry, large settlements, and a spaceport. And you think that's a good place for them to hide, to hide, to hide. To hide pants now. <laughs> we hate moving. Uh, he reassures the child that nobody will find them there. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so the Razor Crest uh, lands. He, Mandalorian is going to go out and check things out. Tells the child to stay there. That eh, child's not going to do that. 
we're four episodes in. The child is not going to stay. We've learned this. He's just not. He's like a puppy. Um, they go visit a common house where there's food uh, grilled over a large grill. Patrons are all human. Um, and a Lothcat from Rebels growls at the child. I wonder how that came got from Lothal. Startling him. Uh, the Mandalorian sets the child on a, 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 but they have a Star Wars booster seat. It's great. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> it's like, oh, there are kids here that come to this yep. bar, right? Uh, they're served by a, a common house proprietor who asks what they want. And so he orders bone broth for the kid. And uh, the prior, proprietor asks if he wants some, but the Mandalorian says only the little one needs it. The Mandalorian then asks about a woman that's dressed in green in the corner. And the proprietor says, oh, yeah, she's been showing up from here and there, you know. For about a week, and then he asks about her uh, what her business is, and she's like, mm, "I'm gonna talk about it." And then he pays some credits, and the proprietor tells the mandalorian that the woman doesn't look like a log runner. She promises to get the broth for him as soon as possible, and uh, brings him some spotchka as well, which I assume is some sort of um, alcohol. The mandalorian soon finds that the young woman in green has left, and he prays the proprietor to keep an eye on the kid before leaving to follow the lady. Using his infrared sensor in his helmet, he tracks her footprints. She ambushes him, and they fight, and they fight, and they fight. And oh, yeah, and the Mandalorian uses a flamethrower because he has to use his flamethrower at least yep, once. Once per episode, episode, yep. It's because we've got it. We're going to use it. Yes. Um, after throwing each other to the ground, they hold weapons at each other, resulting in a stalemate. The child shoes uh, follows them and just watches slurping on their bone. I love bone what you hear is just... <laughs> Like really human, right. you know, adult moment, right. and then it cuts to the kid, right. the child sitting, which is also my another one of my favorite names because that became you know for a while it was Kermit sipping tea. Now it's Baby Yoda sipping tea. Yep, sipping bone broth. I guess it is. My current no lie, currently at work at my my real job, my real gig, I have two monitors. One monitor is Caradoon and Mandalorian fighting, and the you know they when they look over, and the other the other screen is the <laughs> Yoda drinking that. It's delightful. I was like, yeah, yeah. When you have two monitors, you've got to do something. Oh, right? I totally. Uh, the two return to the common house. The woman is Caradoon, and she is a former Rebel Alliance shock trooper, which they basically jump through things and um, kill Imperials. This was a. Uh Okay to interject. Uh, yeah, of, of course. This, anytime. This, this is one of the. This is where my challenge of episode four, because you know this is not my favorite episode. Right. Which and this is, is weird to me. <laughs> but it's, but but I have learned in my research that I'm I am in the minority. I love this episode. Everyone's like, yeah, it's filler. I'm yeah. Like, no, it's I, great. Where it fell apart for me was I I was excited to see Cara Dune introduced. I didn't like her introduction per se. I I felt like I love the fighting. I love the meme it gives us. I love all those pieces. I wasn't into the idea of how they connected. And suddenly became pals. I didn't find it. Not that I everything in Star Wars needs to be believable. I just got done seeing Rise of Skywalker again. There's stuff that I'm okay with being not good. This one I just couldn't connect to it for whatever. And I even on now the fourth viewing of it, right? Uh, in review for this, I still could not connect. Yeah, to that it. makes sense to me because I mean originally the whole thing is that she thinks he's looking for her because he's a bounty hunter, right? He thinks she's a bounty hunter and want to make sure that because he's out out on the guild, he's got to figure out what's going yeah. on. When they find out that they're cool with each other, they're cool with each other. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just I, can't I, buy I into it. I don't want to be like, well, we still have grudges. I'm like, no, go drink. Yeah. <laughs> so that, I bought. To me, it's very RPG like. It's like how you introduce a like 
It, it just wasn't, uh, I guess for me, my challenge was throughout the entire episode, the theme that came about is things happen very quickly, underdeveloped. Right. I felt like this is a denser, maybe maybe we should have had 10 episodes and this could have been a split ski or we could have built upon this one a little more. I just felt like it was a little t- underdeveloped. Okay. That's fair. Um, so she's a drop trooper. They, she, she, uh, they kill Imperials. Which I can't wait. I to think ask. she's a merc, though, right? Aren't aren't she, there shock troopers like mercs? No, no, no. She's she was she was uh, she was Rebel Alliance. She was Rebel Alliance. Okay. And then she became New New Republic, and then she quit because she uh, when the poli- as she put it, the policy had started, and so she didn't want to. She wasn't there to protect delegates, and she wasn't there to quell you know, quash riots, and she's there to. She's kill, a machine. She's a machine. She's, she's a killing there, machine. She's yeah. She's here to kill Imperials. That's why she got into whatever you know into the right. the, the, the Rebel Alliance. Can you imagine well, how good a movie of her backstory would well, be? God, I, I want to see Drop, drop Trooper. I want to see why I don't see that on Endor. And look, I, and it's it's everything post Endor, right? Like, okay, that's the time period I'm super interested right. in. This is great because it's five years after. But you imagine the five years leading up to this, oh, yeah. like what all happened? Crazy. I think yeah. the Mandalorian War happened. The Purge happened during that window. I think the Purge happened earlier. You think so? Mm-hmm. Pre Pre Jedi. Right. I think the Purge is still the Jedi Purge. I don't. What do you mean? I think it's the Jedi part they're talking about. I don't think they're talking about the Mandalorian. I think that's what's going to fool you. Is what it is. I think the, I think I think they're think you're, when they say the purge. I think he's. Yeah, I think it's. Oh, Order, Order sixty six. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I don't know. I'm trying not to because I don't think there's a part and there and I could be wrong, but I don't want to. Well, we'll talk about it in my story yeah, yeah, because yeah. I want to. I, <laughs> Click on over to my story after you finish this episode. <laughs> It'll air Friday, and yeah. so so yeah. you got a few days later. All right. All right, so they f- they finish soup. They uh, she warns them, basically like like we said, hey, I'm not looking for you. You're not looking for me. Let's just part ways. And so said they do. Um, and Lauren goes back to the ship, goes f- the work on it, and uh, some villagers show up from the village from the shrimp place, you know, the Bubba Gump Shrimp Village. Show them. <laughs> that's, that's all kinds of shrimp. Okay. We got krill. We got krill shrimp. We got. <laughs> I, I like I like fried krill. I like stewed krill, <laughs> bold <cow>. krill, <laughs> clantooning krill. Ma- <laughs> Mama makes Nick some good shrimp. Nick two krill. New, <laughs> Nick two krill. Other, I got other, some krill in my grill. Krill in my grill. Grill krill. <laughs> All I right, like that's soon be for sale on my uh, <laughs> like on my it. Etsy store. <laughs> I like my ice cream, my krill ice cream. Anyway, back from that. Um, so they. The the krill villagers go talk to the Mandalorian, who's like, "Yeah, we totally need your help because these dudes are trying to you know whoop on us." And Mandalorian's not interested, and they're like, "We can pay you," and they throw him a little money, and he's like, "That's not enough." And then he's like, "Well, we you know, we have just we got to go back to our long village. It's way way away." And that kind of perks his interest, and he's like, "Can we stay if you we go help you?" He's like, "Sure, you can totally come crash at our place." <laughs> and so, <laughs> so then he goes with the Cara Dunes tree i guess she's camping on a tree <laughs> yeah it throws her some money throws the money which is not much yeah but, and he's like i think she says lunch money <laughs> it's like lunch money and he's like we're gonna go whoop up on some some raiders and uh you know you can hide out in the village with me so they do so all three of them uh head with the villagers via uh, their wagon their space wagon here's my other point of contention to have a tough underdeveloped moment both it appears now we don't see his eyes, but it does appear that both the Mando and uh, Cara Dune fall asleep on this wagon. I think in my mind, one of those two characters should have been awake keeping watch. It bothered me because they made a point to show them waking up. I, I don't know why. It just just 
again, directorial issue, not because she's a woman, just no, no, poor no, choice in right, directing for right, me. Right. But it was one of those things. Where I was like, wait, what shouldn't? I know it sounds dumb. I'm, and it sounds like I'm nitpicking. Right. It just stood out to me. So sorry. So they, <clears throat> so they ride at the village. Um, they're going to go help 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 the folks out uh, for in exchange for in exchange for room and board. Um, Omera comes and talks with them. Uh, she, she's going to hook up the Mandalorian and give offer. A place to stay. Stay. Uh, her daughter shows up. Mandalorian almost shoots her. <laughs> yeah, because he's not definitely not used to children, and that goes a lot better than I thought it was. Like, whoa, slow your roll. Yeah, she was real chill. Real chill about that. Um, uh, she Omer tells that uh, her daughter Winta that he's a nice man. They're gonna protect him from the bad ones. And Maybe she, she should have told her that Winta was coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey. Uh, Mandalorian says the child in uh, the child in a cradle. They're visited by Omer and a child again, her, her daughter again, who brings them some food. Winta takes interest in the child and asks if she can feed him. Mandalorian says sure. She then gets permission to play with the child, and he's she's gonna take him outside. And Mandalorian's like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. And she's like, no, no, it's cool. Yeah, suddenly, like, he's like, hey, stranger, watch my kid in a bar. <laughs> Meanwhile, don't take the kid out. See, this is inconsistencies that he's, I have a trouble to have time with. I'm not the best parent. <laughs> uh, and then this is my favorite part. In private, like, like a minute after that, she's like, so why don't you take off that helmet? Yeah, that, to, which is code for your loin. <laughs> <laughs> like, I need you to get naked. Yeah, well, by, well uh, if you got I, the helmet off, you might as well look, just. I'm dealing with Creel people. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you fine piece of armor guy show up. <laughs> I don't know what you look like on there, By but the way, I want that space yeah. D. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Um, he's like, I've not taken it off since I was, you know, older than this kid. She's surprised that she's he's not showed anyone that his face. And then she gives him some food and leaves, and he takes off his helmet and eats while no one's watching. Which it was cool. I like yeah, that gag. Good. All they had to do was look up though, and they could have seen him. They were all busy. But they were all busy with Baby Yoda, cutest thing right, in the world. Right. So so I've got the mysterious man showing his face for Baby Yoda. I'm looking at Baby Yoda. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because he's toddling and doing yeah. stuff and trying to eat frogs. and He's adorable. <coughs> so that evening, Mandalorian and Kara use his infrared to study the trail left by the raiders. And they look around and they realize that uh, there's a giant footprint, which means there's an ATST. And that changes the whole game because ATSTs are nasty. If you don't remember that, go check out Return of the Jedi. Chicken walkers, some might call them. I know. I know. But that's what I've heard them called a million times. No, no, no. no. Chicken walkers. And even on like the Star Wars website, they're chicken walkers. And I understand why they're chicken walkers because they look like chickens. But I'm not seeing a Star Wars chicken, so I'm not sure if like... Yeah. I, Star Wars chickens have inverted legs. I just want to see, see Star they Wars. They look like the aliens from just, the movie The Arrival. So I, know, I know John Favreau and Dave Foley both listen to the podcast, and so I just my suggestion to you in season two... Star Wars chicken. Give me a Star Wars chicken. Just yeah. give me a Star I'm Wars chicken. Just, just a Star Wars... We, maybe they're big enough to eat a Lothcat. That would be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm down. Just be like Chicken Walker. That's why yeah. we call them. It's going to be like the... What's the lizard? What's uh, the size noodles? No. Yeah, size noodles. What is that? It's some kind of lizard... Tyson noodles is not a lizard. Not Tyson noodles. I mean, Salacious C. Chrome. Not a lizard either. He's a, he's a monkey. Monkey, that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was some kind of lizard monkey for some reason. Doesn't matter. Monkey, monkey, monkey. <laughs> so they go back into the villagers and go, hey, you guys didn't tell about the walker. How do you forget about the walker? Like, right. We shrimp. We totally forgot yeah. about the walker. So Mandalorian's like, y'all got to leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this, this 
you got to go out because this will kill everybody. You have to go eat. And they're like, no, we're not going to leave. And so they're like, well, I guess we're going to tra- train you to fight. But that's that would make sense. But that's not how it unfolds. In a, and, and I'm not trying to be. No, 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 no. It's it's a problem for me again because it's like, <laughs> you got to go. And then Kara Dunn's like, oh, bad bedside manner there or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And then one guy's like, we're staying. He's like, okay, we'll help you fight. <laughs> it's like, what, what kind of flip? Just give me some. <laughs> again, it's just more issues of underdevelopment. Okay. And I don't, I like the episode because right. we get some glorious stuff in this. Right. But those things drove me nuts. So they train the farmers to fight. Um, uh, Straight out of Army of Darkness. Yeah, with sticks. Oh, it's then, beautiful. And then all the weapons that uh, Mandalorian brought from the Razor Crest. Uh, and the farmers are. Okay, I want to talk about this real quick. So they're sh- they're lined up shooting, and I get like a projectile, like like a like a like a bullet, and a bullet can go stray and stuff. So it takes some takes some a- effort to shoot a bu- bullet. Is it really that difficult for a laser gun? Right, let me ask you a question, stormtroopers. True, I, maybe so, I, and maybe that's what they're trying to say. I don't know, but we learned that Amara's like an ISB agent or something because she's good with that. Oh gun. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got some imperial in her. She got yeah, some, yeah. She's. I'd love it if we found out that's what she was like. Right. If she comes back season two and you get that backstory, I'm all in. Oh yeah. So especially if she was like ISDN or something. So the plan is this: they're gonna um, dig a hole. And build a wall of, of debris to hide behind, and they're going to lure the ATSD into the hole. So we'll fall into the hole into the krill pond, and so then then they can blow it up, a la indoor, right? <laughs> because apparently, and this is a problem. This is a problem with uh, I guess walkers in general, because in Empire the a, and at falls, and then. Then, would, they can, then, yeah. they can, then they can blow it. Cause yeah, it's like, suddenly its armor's super soft. <laughs> it's like, it's like <laughs> yeah. And then, and then when when the ATSTs fall, they're they're easily blown up. So something about falling on the ground yeah. deactivates. Their, I don't. But you know what? Consistent. That's why. Yeah, at least there's it's, that. It's, it's, it's fact. It's consistent. All right. So, so that's their plan. Karen and Mandalorian go to where the Clantonians are hanging out, and then they go cause some trouble. And blow some stuff up, and they get they they have a, a nice little uh, little fight. Yeah, oh, that sequence is great. They're a great fight in it. Yeah, and uh, and you get to see her. You get to see Cara Dune, Gina Carino, yeah. show off some of that like mixed martial arts background she has. Right, and, and she's, she's like backbreaking, dude. She's, she's a, badass. She's awesome. She's awesome. love it. And um, uh, they escape, but they also awaken the ATST, which starts chasing them down. Which I love has red eyes, right, right. if you will. But it's also what you use at night anyway. So right. like it makes it's like logical to me why it works right. that way. It's it, so good. But you know, it's also it's painted all weird and oh, it's, yeah. it's like it's kind of tribal. And I'm like, yeah. I'm digging it. I love the fact that they don't know how it got there. Yeah, I don't no idea. Because <laughs> it seemed like there's no imperial presence on that planet right. whatsoever. So like how? But that's great. I love it. Um, so uh, the raiders go back to the the village, and so the, the fight ensues. Um, it's a lot of shooty, shooty, stabby, stabby. <laughs> right. Um, the walker gets close to the edge, but will not bite. And so Caradun has to take um, the Mandalorian's pulse rifle and head off to go try to lure it in. It takes it a minute, but it finally gets lured in and falls. Yeah, and I didn't love... That was another sequence. I, I just... There's... When you do action stuff, this is just personal opinion. When you do action stuff, geography is very important. And and they did a very good job of establishing geography. My only problem was some of the angles. I just felt like that walker was literally right on top of her. All I had to do, like, it it just, it it wasn't perfect placement, but it worked to tell the story. It just, right. 
I guess my issue with the episode, I'll let you finish it up and I'll give up. No, full, no, no, no. no, no, I'll let you get done because it, it's it's reflective of the whole piece. So um, the 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 walker eventually steps out and falls, um, collapses. The Mandalorian comes in with uh, his his explodey whatever his explosives is. I don't know exactly. Some what kind of charge, some yeah. Some kind of charge, yeah. And blows it up. Yay! The day they save the, the remaining Clatoonians run. They're never going to bother the village again, I guess. <laughs> well, I guess yeah. Now that they can fight, right. try to village. They, you know, we learned that the fisherman for a day, whatever <laughs> that whole thing is. Krillerman, <laughs> Kriller person. Uh, so then we cut to some weeks later. Um, Mandalorian's like. This place is great. Kara's like, this place is great, but I got to get moving. Mandalorian's like, I got to get moving, but I'm gonna leave the kid here because the kid really likes it here. Kara's like, yeah, it's gonna break his heart, and she, he's all like, yeah, but he'll get over it. Yeah. So, and she's like, why don't you just mack up with a girl? She really wants to mack up with you. And he's like, I can't take off the helmet thing, you know, because I, you know, if I take it off, I won't be allowed back to my people. She's like, well, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's dense though because it's like he has a way out, right? And he and he can't right participate. He won't do it, and so he goes to go talk to Amara, who's like really like you know you can leave all this stuff behind and you can. She's hang. clearly imperial. And she's like, you can just chill with us, just yeah. chill with us. And he's like, I can't, but I'm gonna leave the kid here. Is that cool? She's like, yeah, I'll raise him as my own. Yeah. And, and, and so <laughs> when I'm dead, he'll be 12. <laughs> I don't even think he'll be 12. He'll be like four when he dies. Yeah, probably. Uh, and then um, then there's a laser blast sound because the whole time there's somebody targeting the, the child. And so we think the child's going to die. But of course, the child's not dead. You can't kill Baby Yoda. It's adorable. Uh, Cara Dune, she kills a bounty hunter who was who had a tracking fob, who's yep. tracking them there. And so that means, well, can't leave the kid here. So Mandalorian says his goodbyes. Uh, t- tells Kara that they'll see you when I see you. Take the child who looks very sad at all the little kids that were leaving. Oh yeah, it's, a, it's adorable but sad. And then they head off to their next adventure. So as a whole, I guess uh, my overall issues with the entire episode, uh, it felt like uh, it felt like TV and not Mandalorian to me. So I know that sounds it's it's a little bit nitpick because it's been so solid so far. So when we get to this it feels like traditional television, step and repeat, filler episode, gap stuff. And as odd as it's about to sound because I am a hardcore brown coat, been a brown coat for a number of years, it felt like a rehash of a Firefly episode to me. Um and I don't know why it just it because, it just pulled me out of it. Because they did that episode when they went to the the whorehouse. Oh yeah. I mean but that's okay because it's a trope. It's a cinema no, trope because they also ripped off the Magnificent Seven, which is the rip off of, of Seven Samurai. Samurai. Yeah, and this is all this is. And so, what I think is fascinating though about about this is is that they're being honest with you. Lucas used Kurosawa's characters throughout. I mean, you know, especially three P and R two are Kurosawa characters, right? And so there's that influence is there. Sure. And so let's just honor it and then let's be upfront with it. And they are. And I think they're. They're not hiding what they're trying to do. It's like, hey, look, it's it's seven samurai. This is what we're doing. We're doing two samurai, right. and, so, and we're gonna have fun with it. And they do. I I don't see it as a filler episode too either, because I mean, we learn. It's like I, mean, I had a friend who's like, we didn't learn anything. I was like, no, we learned a lot. I mean, you we know, learn about Cara Dune, and she becomes important. Yeah, and we also learn about Mandalorian why he can't take off his helmet. Right. And, 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 there, there, there's tidbits of great information in here. I just don't know if it's. Uh, when I rewatch it again, like I said, for the fourth time, rewatching it, revisiting it, I should say, I just didn't. It still had the same thing. It, it It's not bad. I just don't connect to it. And I think I came off the high of three is one of my favorite episodes. Right. Uh, Deborah Chow. 
And so coming off of that and how well that is put together and so well directed, so well cut, going into this, it was just such a style difference to me. I just like having um, the breather. No, I get it. I totally get it. A hundred percent. And and I think I think actually the next three episodes. Are not a big fan of the one after this either. I, I think the next one coming up five is my least favorite of the it's, run. It's up there for me. So of the run. Yeah. Um, and then the one after that I like, but it's, I don't like it. I mean, I think five's I think five's the weakest. But f- I bet I bet five feeds off into something because it has to. But we'll talk about that next week. Yeah. But um. So do you think the problems with this episode, if there's any, are story based or solely with the director? Uh, mine's directorial. Directorial. Yeah, I, I just if it feels like well, I don't know the control level of the show, so I don't know how Mandalorians run. You know, most TV shows are run by executive producer, right. which is why Dave Filoni being an EP is very important. Right. He's a showrunner. Right. Yeah. Uh, Kevin. Uh, Kevin. Uh, Favreau's not on set, right? I doubt Favreau's on set I for bet, some of this stuff. I bet Favreau's on set. He's a pretty busy dude. I had I, I ran into a buddy of mine that works in Atlanta. He's got some inside baseball and stuff, and I'll share that here in a minute in the Phantom, oh, yeah, cool. Phantom Free Zone. Uh, some good, some bad. But like that, I don't know. He could be, but I don't know if Favre, how much Favreau interacts. But if it is directorial choices and they let them kind of take the style, because clearly like uh, Filoni's directorial, uh, Favreau's, uh, not Favreau, um, oh, Tak Fujimoto. Is that who it is? No, that's a DP. Whatever the second director's name. I forget now. Yeah. And then and then Deborah Chow, who I love, I think I adore her. Um, all three different styles. And Bryce Dallas has her own style. Right. I just felt like it was a little bit soft and underdeveloped for the content given. The story's good. Right. It's just the content given felt underdeveloped. Well, she she definitely had had some choices that she wanted. Um, she you know, she used her her experiences in M. Night Shyamalan's The Village for the look and the, the feel of the village in those shots. And then she worked in Jurassic Park and she said she she's like the T Rex, the ATSC was her T Rex. Yeah, I think it's great. And, and it so, comes through. And it comes through right because it does got that kind of monster feel because, you know, it, it has pilots. We never really see the pilots in right. there. I mean, we see this as this, this, you know, this metal monster that's, you know, it can, you know, it's like a dragon. You know, she's fire and yeah i mean it's crazy and i guess the the and as much as that makes sense in that time i I wonder if at the same time those are two pop culture reference ideas so maybe i'm having a tough time with that because i can draw an earthly i know this sounds weird trope to an unearthly scenario right Whereas everyone else felt original this felt maybe not stale but like i said i just didn't i didn't feel like it was developed very well so what would you do different? Um, I mean, you, I mean you're going to tell this story because you need a story. You need, you need. The show cannot be cat and mouse. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think and one the, of th- and the and the and the episodes have been cat and mouse either with him being the cat. And I would have the used mouse. the events of the place to form the friendship between between Mando and Cara Dunn, Cara, Cara, however we go with it. Uh, I would use that. So, like the the bone, I wouldn't change anything about the fight, the bone broth gag, all of that stuff. Um, I, I would have left it as is. Mando goes back to the ship. Uh, there's no dialogue scene there. Mando goes back to the ship. Suddenly, he needs help, and then then that's what motivates him. So he goes to her and says, "Look, you're a warrior," and it just establishes a little bit more. I don't know if someone's after you, or you after me, but it makes it a little more of a common ground, and we establish it very quickly, right? And it builds upon it even more. I think the um, 
taking off your helmet thing, move that later on. Let them get there for a little while first before she starts, because that information leads to a great chunk of info. Mm -hmm. But let them be there for a little bit. Like, let the training montage happen and put it, uh, give us a beat to set that space up. That's fair. Um, I just think it would it would tone out better um, so we can kind of build on a little bit more. I think uh, just a little bit of blocking difference. I love the idea of figuring out how to get it in, but like how Cara Dunn did it, it I, she just like got in the, the water right next to it. I, I don't know, some way of just baiting that action sequence in. I don't know what they had to deal with on production, but I would right. have tried to rearrange that. Otherwise, I had no issues with that side of things. And then certainly when they did find out, I'm sorry to backtrack, when they found out that there was going to be an ATST. I would have had one of the two make the decision to walk off, not both, mm. and then one of them flop back like a fish. Um, I think it would have been interesting if Kara, her character is like, F it all, frack it all, I'll take on anything, because she seems to like be bait. If it's an imp-related product, she <laughs> wants to destroy it. And I would have let her be that and let her steer the Mando a little bit. Right. Um, so that she comes across as a much stronger character, because it's going to be important, I think, in her development later on. That's it. I mean, I've trust me, I've thought through, because I love it. No. I can't always do this with the movies we do on our other podcasts. Right, right, right. <laughs> this is the longest I've ever gone on that, but there you go. That's what I would do. I, I, I like this episode. I like this episode a lot, because I like... There's, there's a moment where this whole show can end. Mm-hmm. And 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 like be satisfied, it can end for this guy. I and mean, this guy's, this guy, like you said, has an out. Right. Of course, he's not going to take it because it's the show. He can't take the out. But for a moment there, you know he's considering it. I mean, he knows he's into her. I mean, clearly he's into right. her. And he can look around and see like, you know, you know, kid could have a good life. I could have a good life here. I mean, like, is this what I want? I, I, and I think when what I, I appreciate about it is that it's. It's shown and not told, right? Because he doesn't talk, and he doesn't have a, f- and you can't. But just the, you know, the there's sheer some subtext that's fantastic in this, yeah, yeah. so that you don't you, and so that's why I don't see like it's a filler episode. You're not. I hate to put it this way, but you're not watching it right. Right. You're missing the point there. There. I mean, he's he's really. I mean, he's watching that. You know, as he's eating, he's watching that kid play, and he's making decisions then. And I think after they save the day, I think you know they're there for a couple of weeks, which I would have shown us that a little bit more. I would have stressed sure. that, that 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 sudden next scene where a couple of weeks later, I've never liked that. But but accepting it as it is, if they've been there a couple of weeks, he's like, you know, it's, this is kind of nice. And she even points it out; that's kind of nice. And he's just, you know, his the way he was brought up is finally it asserts itself. And so he has to, you know, right. he does what he does. But I like the fact that this isn't, you know, you can't do a, you know, a cat and mouse episode every other. I mean, you've got to have the, he has to have a moment to hide and get his bearings. And I love that about this. And I, even I like, even that he gets his bearings, it doesn't quite work out the right. He does get that chance. I mean, he does find sanctuary like he, he does, which I hope we do see it again in the future. So I'm, I, I dug it. I think it's a good recall set. <clears throat> it's a big set. So I imagine they would, would want to use it again. I have a feeling they will. Uh, so I got a little trivia. Um, I don't have a lot. There wasn't a lot much on this one. Uh, this is so. This is the first time a Lothcat has been seen in live action, which is delightful. Which were introduced in Star Wars Rebels. They're uh, they're a, a series of variations of the Tuca cat, which was first seen in Clone Wars. The Tuca species was named after Dave Filoni's cat Tuke. That's funny. All right, so here's some facts about Clatoonians. I know. I'm all. I love it. <laughs> So, because Clatoonians were also the villains in the is this one of your facts mm. oh, in the Ewok movies, right? No, oh, 
Is that Nicktoonians? Nick? N- no. I have to go look at those up because they weren't Klaatu or, or Nicktoonians. Oh, I thought they were. They may be Baratas. Who knows? So uh, the mercenaries are Klaatunian, who, according to the new Alien Essential Guide to Alien Species, uh, like to refer to themselves as children of the fountain. Interesting. The species first appeared in episode six, Return of the Jedi. Um, but here the masks have been updated to allow greater articulation. I have... <clears throat> the only facts I found were in Legends, so I don't do this often. Go off into the Legends of the... Oh, country. so we're breaking canon, so folks. We're, 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 not, we're just talking about Legends. We're not breaking <laughs> canon. We're, we're talking about Legends. So the Legends of the Clatoonians. Clatoonians were a humanoid species from the desert planet Clatoon. Located in the Cyclada cluster. For most of the history, they were closely associated with the Huts as criminal henchmen, soldiers, and slaves. And by the time of the Galactic Civil War, however, some Clatoonians began to break away from their servitude. Clatoonians uh, rever- uh, revered the Huts, whose natural lifespan spans several centuries. And so uh, to the Clatoonians, they're near godlike. So, you know, these guys, these worms are going to. Oh, interesting. So, so that's why they end up falling in line. Uh, in fact, they, the Fountain of Ancients were named, renamed the F- Fountain of the Hut Ancients. And under Hut rule, the Clatoonian elders were allowed to rule Clatoon. Uh, but all, all, all off-world concerns, such as the influ- infamous Clatoonian Trade Guild, were wholly under Hut controlled. In 44, after the, uh, the Battle of Yavin, uh, damage to the Fountain of Ancients by Sith operas served as a pretense for the Clatoonians to clear. The Treaty of Vontor breached by the Huts, thus voiding their enslavement. Widespread slave revolts marked the Clatoonian uprising, and which was part of a large, larger anti-slave movement in the galaxy at the time. Brand. I have, I have two. Yeah, so, so that was our legends. That was the legends moment. It's bringing us back to canon. I have two famous Clatoonians. <laughs> okay, and I say famous lightly. <laughs> Quotation marks. So the first Clatoonian was Barada. He's the, the the one we all know. And you're like, we don't know that one. Like, you totally know that one. Barada was a Clatoonian who served with the crime lord Jabba the Hutt before uh, Zero uh, BBY and would continue to serve Jabba for up to four years after the Battle of Yevon. When Jabba attempted to execute a group of rebels at the Great Pit of Carcoon, on the planet Tatooine, Barada was one of the crime lord's minions who traveled to the, with the prisoners to the pit. At the execution, however, the rebels fought to free themselves, and in the struggle, the Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker slashed Barada with his lightsaber and killed him. And he fell into the pit. He fell into He's the, the pit. burp guy. He's the burp guy. Yeah. Uh, Barada first appeared in James Caan's novelization of the 1983 film uh, Return of the Jedi and the final installment of the Star Wars trilogy. He was played by, uncred- he was played by uncredited by stuntman Durkion Beer. Concept sketches on him were drawn and later uh, maquettes were crafted. Barada was ex- executed as a costume made uh, as a slip-on mask and gloves re- representing hands. Several Barada-like aliens were crafted for the scene in the Sarlacc. Barada, as well as fellow skip card Klaatu and the, sp- and the species Nictu, are all references to the phrase Klaatu Barada Nictu from the 1951 science fiction film The Day the Earth Stood Still. And or referenced again in Army of Darkness. There you go. Number two. Oompa's Day. Nope. No idea. <laughs> Oompa's Day 
was a male Clatoonian who worked as a drummer and bodyguard for the Max Rebo band at the Palace of the Crime Lord. <laughs> Holy Jump. smokes. So he's, he's the addition. He's a special edition addition. Oh, yeah. He's the one on the drum. But he's a drummer slash bodyguard. Right. Drummer slash okay. bodyguard. That's important. So he's, you know, it's him in a weak way, both drumming, and yep. they're, they're both in front of uh, the Carbonite Hall Frozen Han. Uh, four years after the Battle of Yavin, he and the rest of the band performed the song Jedi Rocks, which is terrible, for Jabba, who demanded they repeat the song, but then dropped the slave Ula into the Rancor pit when she refused to, his advances and during the performance. The band stopped playing as the Rancor devoured the slave and then witnessed, uh, witnessed the arrival of Princess Leia, again disguised as the bounty hunter, Boosh, with the Wookiee Chewbacca as his prisoner. So we have two Clatoonians that you can point out. So is that, do you, just side question. More for my Star Wars life. Did, did the Max Rebo band make it? No. Were they on the ship? They're, I can't remember. Yeah, the Max Rebo band's yeah, the, the on the barge. Okay, I couldn't uh, remember I'll if they were. Double check Jedi again, but I, I'm pretty sure the Max Rebo band's on the okay. barge. That's a dang shame. That is a dang shame. They were a very talented band, except for that Jedi Rocks. <laughs> Can we step into the Phantom Free Zone for just one minute? I got one more thing. Oh, I'm sorry. So uh, I wanted to talk about ATSTs real quick. Oh, look at this fact. The original model for the ATSTs were created by members of the Industrial Lights and Magic, and George Lucas thought they were neat. Or, yeah, they're neat. <laughs> neat. Neat. Uh, and decided to include them in the Empire Strikes Back along with the ad ads. So the ILM model shop disassembled and added a metal stop motion armature. The ATST model received some cosmetic changes for his extensive appearance in Return of the Jedi, thus explaining the minor differences between the model used between two films. The All-Terrain Scout Transport, the ATST, also known as the Scout Transport, Scout Walker, or diversely as a Chicken Walker, was lightweight bipedal walker used by ground forces for the Galactic Empire. Later, the First Order had used an upgrade version of the ATST within their military. And did we? Where do do we see the First Order ones anywhere? They are in. Um, I see them in Rise or something like that in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, but they're not used. They're you see them in. I think you see them in. Um, Force Awakens in the hangar bay. I don't oh, think, gotcha. Yeah, I don't think they. I don't think they're using them. Yeah, because uh, they use the gorilla walkers in right. Jedi. So right. that's Jedi. So, so for the Phantom Free Zone. Phantom Free Zone. <laughs> one of the most frustrating things I've ever experienced at, is learning that our dear hero, the Mandalorian, uh, is not always played by Pedro. Right. Does that really voiced? Matter? It really does bother me. Does it really bother you? Yeah, it, it bothers me. Uh, so I had Bothan spies all over this country that happened to work in the film and television industry. And to further drive this home, this... Did, this, did, did many spies die to bring you to I hope not, but uh, some, I'm sure a bunch of trees did on the scripts that they printed. The what, what really made it worse is that this article dropped a while back. It was like on IndieWire. Yeah. Of course, it was just troll news, so people picked it up everywhere. The reason it bothers me is because I had just got done complimenting on this very show, complimenting Pedro Pascal on his ability to act with just body language because it's it's right. very difficult. Um, and come to find out, it's the majority of it is done by a stunt person, which is, again, I should have Do known you know better. know who the stunt person is? Which I think is amazing. It's John Wayne's grandson. grandson yeah, John Wayne's which grandson. Which like John makes the Mandalorian so in so some ways so much more badass, <laughs> right? It totally does. And I'm not dissing on Pedro. I know why they did this. Right. This is normal producing. You're not seeing the guy's face. You don't need Pedro there. He's costing you money. Right. Don't bring him in. Also, also in Pedro's defense, he's also at, at, at this time of production he's still working on king lear in right. new york and so he's tied up i get it so he's tied up so. what my both and spy told me and this is probably might get me in some kind of trouble but i don't care um okay well 
I can't give more than this person was on set for, I, for every episode. Because I'm going to be like, well, you know, if if John Favreau and Dave Farley listen, they may not give us our space chicken. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, maybe I just won't tell it because I want space chicken. Do you want it? Is it worth a space chicken to you? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty big. It, it was a pretty shocking revelation. All right, go go for it. I'll, I'll Pedro's total time, two appearances, the entire show. Okay. I just find that amazing. One of which we know. Um, one of which you, 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 if you have, if you're watching, right? If you're watching with us, right? You don't know. If you're watching uh, post us, you know. But um, it just, it's just one of those things to me of like, I, I don't know. I, uh, what's his name? Carl Urban did it. Uh, he wore the judge dread mask and never took it off. Right. Okay. And I, I don't know. Just something okay. about right. to me so, that makes so, a difference. So saying that, I will, I will, I will remind you. That James Earl Jones didn't wear the Darth Vader mask. I understand his voice. Suit, I'm all suit, for it. Suit at all. Um, there were six people, or at least six people, maybe more, who played Boba Fett. Yeah. And, I'm with you. And Jeremy Bullock gets the credit for most of it, but when you realize how much time <laughs> totally Jeremy Bullock actually played Boba Fett. Uh, we've had two Chewbacca's. I, I, God rest you, Peter. But right. So, I so, get it. So It's more a matter of um, th- this being smaller. It, well, arguably, it's not. But I mean... I mean I understand. Yeah. I 100% understand where you're coming from. However, again, you talk to the casual fan about oh, Star Wars. Oh, they won't know the difference, yeah. Yeah, you talk to the casual fan of Star Wars. Who played Darth Vader? James Earl Jones. Yeah. No one, you know, yeah, no one knows they, David Prowse. Yeah, David Prowse. The hardcore fan, we all do. Yeah. We're, you know, but the casual fan. And that documentary is heartbreaking, by right, the way. Right, right. And so, what? yeah, what Lucas did to him is not. Oh, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's, a, it's a dark story that people don't like to talk right, about. It's, it's, not, it's not fair. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's not fair. Um, but no one's perfect. So there, there anyway, go. my thing about it was the, the fandom free part of this is as much as it is, it's self statement for me. The greatest thing that comes from that is then learning that you have this badass swagger of a cowboy coming from one of the most badass swaggering cowboys ever walked this earth. Right. And it's his grandson. So you have John Wayne's grandson. I forgot his, his name. John Wayne the like third? I mean I think he's, it might be. I think he's a John Wayne. I think I hope that that we find out somewhere he gets a face cameo. Like the guy gets a cameo somewhere in the show uh where we get to see him uh be somebody or you know just something fun because I think it's it's well worth it um to have that young he might not be that young. No one knows. You say grandson, I think kid, but that doesn't mean anything. Um I'm 40 years old and I'm somebody's grandson. Uh I just hope that we get to see that space. The fan and free part of it is sometimes it's like pictures are deceiving. And and I think we often give a lot of credit to the celebrity and not necessarily enough credit to all the other crew and or actors that go, in, especially like stunt persons, that go into creating these amazing characters. Well, that's that's 100% true. There's still not a stunt Oscar. I know, and that's part of my thing. Is like here we have a, a stunt performer literally performing the body motions. Now he consults with Pedro and all that stuff. But those guys are working together. To, th- those persons are working together to make this happen. And it is a little bit on the, you know, sometimes I get sad that we just do not celebrate them enough or at least give them enough credit. That's all. Uh, it's not. I can't really get mad. I, this show's too clean. To, I can get angry at Star Wars over on the uh, my Star Wars, my Star Wars Life podcast. I, you know, I hundred percent agree. I think it's, you know some people should get more recognition. Um, but the yeah. reality, they, they, they won't. 
<laughs> no, I mean, that's the problem with the, you know, uh, nobody go, people go see movies for stunts. Right. But they don't know the performers in it. They're going to see the actor be, right. mock, you know, mimicked in that stunt. Right. I mean, James Bond is a prime example of those. And the Mandalorian is chock full of stunts. Right. Now, Gina Carino does a lot of her stunts, right? right? That's part of her MO, but she's an MMA trained professional. She's right. like a wrestler. Wrestlers can do a lot of stuff that the normal that's why well what helped Dwayne Johnson's career right. is he could do a lot of these great stunts still can because mm-hmm. um, they've got a lot of training but once you get to a certain point it's not just that the actor doesn't want to the studio's not going to risk their money maker on you know especially in a franchise series so that's true that's definitely definitely true so stunt people need that recognition in I, my do. I agree, agree. The, again there's not a stunt Oscar that's one of the ones that they're fighting for and I think they need to need one yeah for sure they definitely need because I mean, if I'm setting someone on fire <laughs> Yeah, and, so, and and people that are close to friends have passed away. Like mm-hmm. uh, John that passed away on Walking Dead was that wasn't a major stunt, right? I mean, all stunts are dangerous. They can go sideways real quick, right? So mm. there we go. That's there it. That's, That's it. all I got. That's my rant. No, that was a good rant. It's a good yeah, rant. Just putting it out there. I got you. I got you. We may not get space chickens, but no oh well. <laughs> it's worth it. We can do our own space chickens in our own thing, right? I'm going to make my own space chicken. Make our own space chicken. And then have my own I got space. an air fryer for Christmas, so I'm going to have air fried space chicken. <laughs> Ooh, sounds delicious. It's going to be like a rehydrator. <laughs> uh, so our next episode is episode five. Yep. Tough episode. Tough episode. So it'll be interesting. But there's a comedian in it who I love. Who's, Absolutely. Who apparently is def- decisive. JD hates her. And so. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So it's real, real funny. So stay tuned for that, and uh, if you want to hear more of our discussion on what's current in Mandalorian, uh, just come see us on Friday for My Star Wars Life. That's right. We'll be there. So this is Scotty saying this is our contribution to the multiverse. Go out and make yours. Koha's out. This is the way. Mobcast Network.